And we're back. Coaches, welcome to season four of KYPD. It has been way too long since we've been together. And I hope this episode finds you guys doing well as we stand uh, here at the starting line of the uh, of the new year in 2022. Uh, for you guys who are returning listeners, thank you for coming back and checking us out. I know it was a long uh, delay, and so thank you for hanging in there with us and coming back. And if you're a first-time listener of KYPD, welcome. And because we no doubt have a few first-time listeners of the dozens and dozens who listen each week, uh, then I will, I'll take a few minutes to tell you a little bit about uh, who I am and the mission behind this podcast here. Uh, first, my name is Ty Taylor. I'm the, uh, the co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Pleasant Grove High School here in Texarkana, Texas. And I started this podcast back in late uh, February of 2019, uh, really with the goal of providing resources for defensive line coaches first and foremost, but then also for coaches in general. And for you know the past couple of years, I'd like to think that we've been able to do just that. Uh, and, and really, we've been able to do that because we've been able to have on some really awesome guests, many of whom are coaches and now turned listeners. Uh, but some, you know, some weren't coaches, but I think everyone who's been on this podcast has truly made it a valuable resource. I know for myself, uh, and for hopefully you guys out there as well. Uh, but like always, uh, in season four, we'll have new episodes dropping each week. Um, you know, primarily D-line coaches, but also we're going to work in some other coaches from other positions as well, and and, and then work in some uh, other figures from from all walks of life, whether it be leadership. Um, you know, maybe we 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 have some other stuff planned that's a little bit out of the box for later on in the season that we'll talk about as that as that gets a little closer, but. You know that that none of that's going to change. But one thing, one slight change is that you may have already noticed is that our new episodes now will publish on Tuesdays. So make sure you make note of that. And a way you can to make sure you never miss an episode is to subscribe now. Um, and you can also interact with us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast to keep up with what we have going on. And in the meantime, go back and check out any of our 116 uh, published episodes from the past three seasons, and keep on checking us out each week. Also, I'm proud to say that we are continuing our partnership with our two podcast sponsors that came on board last season, with the first being our friends over at GoEdit Graphics. So if you're on social media at all, I'm sure you've seen coaches or administrators, athletic departments, uh, booster clubs, uh, post graphics promoting the accomplishments of their athletic teams, the you know, individual players, coaches, et cetera. And doing that is a great way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic department. And it goes a long way in promoting your school and your athletes. But, you know, maybe you're one of those guys who has no idea about how to create those professional-looking graphics that you see everywhere. Well, our friends at GoEdit Graphics have got you covered. Now, what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, the text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, just to name a few. Uh, the platform is, is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. Uh, Go Edit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes. And subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. And in fact, they've added some really sharp looking new templates this year that you'll definitely want to check out if you haven't done so already. And just like last season, mention keep your pads down when you're checking out and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Showcase your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with Go Edit Graphics. Next up, clinic season is upon us, but hey, that doesn't mean that you have to load up in the ragged out car your school district loans you, drive across the state to a clinic, 
hear a couple speakers and share a hotel room with your musty O-line coach. <laughs> now you can still do that, but you can also create an account with our friends at Our Coaching Network and immediately have unlimited access to hundreds of hours of clinics with new clinics being added each week. Now this week, Our Coaching Network is hosting live clinics on Wednesday night with Sacramento State O-line GA Vincent Johnson talking O-line play. And then on Thursday night, you can hear about linebacker play from Robert Morris University defensive coordinator, Dave Plungus. So sign up with Our Coaching Network today. Subscriptions are super affordable and you can cancel at any time. Start connecting with and learning from coaches from all across the country today with Our Coaching Network. Okay, so now let's get to our conversation today with our guest, Coach Bryce Hale, the defensive line coach at Magnolia High School down there northwest of Houston. Coach grew up in Quinlan, Texas, and he played college ball at East Texas Baptist in Marshall, which is also where he got his coaching start as the admissions counselor and defensive line coach for the, for the Tigers. Uh, from there, Coach moved on to Houston for a year where he coached at a middle school before moving north to Magnolia, where he just wrapped up his second season with the Bulldogs. Today, Coach Hale and I talk about the Bulldogs' multiple fronts and how they're able to transition from a four-down to a three-down front uh, without changing personnel. Uh, we look at some stunts that they like out of both of those looks, uh, some of the techniques that they use and play with, some drills, and, and really a whole lot more. Uh, we also look at some tape during our conversation today. So if you would like to see the video of my conversation with Coach Hale today complete with cut-ups, you can do so by checking out our Keep Your Pads Down podcast YouTube page, a link to which can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Anyway, with all that being said, hey, let's dive into the first KYPD episode of 2022 with Coach Bryce Hale. Coach Hale, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to talk some D-line play today, so thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Looking forward to joining on. Well, Coach, uh, you're there at Magnolia High School now coaching the D-line. Uh, and actually, we, we um, in our conversations leading up to this, found out we had uh, had some similarities. Our paths have not directly crossed, but maybe indirectly. I grew up in Quinlan Ford. Uh, over here in our neck of the woods, we actually played those guys the third round this year. Uh, talk to us a little bit about just your 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 background and, and and start off by filling us in on your football journey up to this point. Absolutely. So um, I started playing football in junior high at Quinlan Bowl Junior High, which is a 1A. We had about 80 kids in the junior high, about 100 kids at the high school, so super small school. And then my dad, he's a coach. He made the transition to J.J. Pierce High School in Richardson. So I went from 1A junior high to a 5A high school and spent about two years there. And then finally, he moved again, spent my last two years back in Quinlan Ford um, and graduated there um, in 2012. And then um, I had the opportunity right after that to go um, play football at ETBU, um, played all four years there, loved my time there, played for Coach Josh Ergel. He's a great guy. Stay in touch with him every once in a while, still touch base with him. Um, learned a lot of football from him and a lot about life. And then uh, during our time there, we kind of helped turn a program around to be like a Try ASE champion, which is the first time in the modern history each of you had done that. Um, so it was a big kind of thing for my life and kind of taught me a lot about just kind of how to win, kind of how to turn things around. And then uh, from there, um, at my senior uh, banquet for football in college, my president of the university asked me to come be the 
um, an admissions counselor for the university and come recruit for the school if I want to get my master's for free. So I agreed to do that and jumped on and uh, spent about a year and a half doing that. And so um, I was kind of in the college recruiting world, going into the, out to different schools and kind of learning the ropes about how to do that. Really wasn't my um, avenue I thought I was going to get into. And then um, my position coach came up to me, approached me in the office and said he told me he was going to be resigning and asked if I should apply for the D-line spot at ETBU. And I said, well, you know, I don't really have any formal coaching experience. It'd be really interesting to see if they give me the full, you know, that full-time gig. And so um, I went through about four interviews and lo and behold, they let me have the job. Um, don't know if that was a smart idea at the time for them or not, but they let me do it. And so I spent about a year and a half at ETBU from that spring to the next fall and spring at ETBU. Um, coached the D-line there. We, were, we went seven and three that year, led the ASC in sacks and tackles for a loss, had a good season. And then um, I had my son and my wife was a head basketball coach and head track coach at high school at the time. And our schedules didn't really work well with having an infant, you know, infant child that was going to be in daycare on a day to day basis to try to figure out, you know, who was going to pick him up and how it was going to be there, especially if I was out of town or if she was on a long trip on a, on a tournament or something. So what we did was we decided to move to Houston. So I found the first job I could at uh, Creekside Park Junior High. And spent two years there uh, working Tomball, was in Tomball ISD, so working for Coach Flanagan and uh, Coach Handel and Coach Caduti and that staff. And they treated me real well. Got to help them out on Friday nights and help them out in the spring a whole lot. Um, and then I kind of started putting my, you know, feelers back out for other jobs at the high school level. And um, I made the jump over to Magnolia High School, which is where I'm currently at now. And the D-line coach and strength and conditioning coordinator. Um, love every minute here with Coach Craig Martin and Coach Chase Hargis. Um, we've had a really good last two years. Uh, we went 10-2 last year. We were 8-0 undefeated district champs and uh, played a lot of really good football teams in our district, including Magnolia West and College Station and Lufkin. And, and this year uh, wasn't as successful, as, as successful, but still went, you know, had a good playoff run, lost a long view in the playoffs. There's, you know, Coach King coached a good program over there, and they were pretty tough to play. And um, kind of where I'm at today. And loving life and enjoying my time coaching the D-line over there. Yeah, being uh, over there in Magnolia, close to my neck of the woods uh, from where I grew up there in Huntsville. So um, you mentioned playing uh, at ETBU and then and then getting on as a coach there after you were admissions counselor. You know, whenever you get a job like that at a smaller school, whether it's D2, D3, NAIA, a lot of the times you do wear a lot of different hats in addition to your normal day-to-day -day coaching responsibilities. H how did that help you? Uh, become a better coach today and how did you use that experience to help you as a, as a coach today on the high school level? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of my additional jobs I was gifted with was being the uh, uh, academic coordinator at ETBU. And so I was in structure, I was in charge of making sure everybody maintained their eligibility, maintained enough credits, maintained proper GPA throughout the semester, um, made sure they were going to, I had to structure the study hall program and make sure kids were going to study hall. And so let's say a kid had below a 2.75 GPA and they were required to go to three hours of study hall a week. And I was making sure they went to study hall on Sunday nights and was sitting in with kids and um, teaching kids to kind of like how to structure their college schedules. And so um, how that kind of helped me was, you know, it wasn't just me doing it. It was a, a lot of the other coaches that helped step in and, you know, jump up at the, at the time. So, cause they had to go work with their position group or work with a certain kid. And, you know, it taught me a lot about kind of help, how to like, you know, help coordinate, you know, 
with other coaches and speak to other adults and just kind of like how to get, you know, other grown men to do, you know, a job, especially for a guy like me, I was 23 at the time. And I was working with a bunch of guys that were all, you know, 30, 40 and 50. And, you know, it was, a, it's pretty, you know, you don't want to make sure, you know, we don't want the starting kid, you know, to lose his eligibility. And then that didn't look too good on my, you know, my part. So um, besides that, you know, having to work with other adults and then also just, you know, managing kids in a, in a realm that's outside of football too. And, you know, learning to help them manage their academic life and then their um, athletic life as well. And so, I mean, that really does play into what we do today is because, you know, you have a lot of kids that, you know, they're in school all day and then they have to jump out and come, you know, we're expecting them to be all football. And so uh, just kind of learning how to help manage that as well. So kind of both those things help me out a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I can, you know, uh, definitely see where that would give you some credibility, even with your kids now, as, as now as a high school coach, you've seen the other side of things and, and know exactly what kids need to have as far as their academics go and how they, how they maintain their eligibility and, and are able to qualify for schools. One thing I've always been curious about is when guys jump into college coaching and it's their, um, you know, their first job is, is how does the recruiting part work for you? Like, was it, you know, cause I've, I've wondered this too, as I see these, you know, as, this kind of end of the fall, we really started seeing guys coming through the, uh, you know, on, on the road recruiting. And, and sometimes you see some of those guys who, uh, who are really, really young and, and you kind of feel for them a little bit because you can tell they hadn't been out on the road very long. What was that experience for you like? And did you have anybody kind of take you along and say, Hey man, this is how you do this. Or was it just, Hey, go get it. Yeah. So it's a bit of both. Um, so I had a, a, the DB coach on staff at the time was a really good recruiter. He'd been through another, a couple, number of other universities and he was in his mid thirties at the time. And, um, coach Dylan swears, I think he's at Saxe high school. Now he did a great job kind of like helping me kind of like, like, this is what you do. This is kind of who you go talk to, this is who you meet. And I kind of had a leg up. I felt like in a lot of ways, because, you know, I, I went to colleges and I went to high schools already recruiting for the university. It wasn't from the from the perspective of me just being from athletics, and I'm going to specifically just recruit athletes. I was recruiting just general population kids, but I had all the ins and outs and answers about, you know, what they needed to know and what they needed to do. And I was already accustomed to talking with kids about that process, and what that would look like. And so it really wasn't that big of a jump for me to kind of have to start doing that. And um, when I hit, you know, when you hit the road, a lot of high school coaches, I know get, you know, really upset if you don't go talk to them first. And so that was kind of my big priority. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, upset a coach because, you know, you get a lot of smaller schools that blanket offer, you know, kids without even talking to their, their coach. And, you know, it, you know, a lot of times, you know, of me understanding this side of it now, you know, being a coach, if I never knew or never heard of a coach before, and they went and offered one of our kids, you know, would I be happy for the kid? 100% absolutely. Would I feel like, you know, like, could I have helped them a little bit differently? Like how much do they actually know about our kid in the process? And so I feel like, you know, going and sitting down with a lot of the, you know, the head football coaches and the recruiting coordinators from the different school really gave a, a big, you know, outlook about who you were looking into. And they would give a really good analysis about what the kid was about. They would most of the time shoot you the truth about, you know, were they a good kid? Do they show up on time? Do they miss things? You know, do they love football? And um, I think that, you know, when you get on the road, you start doing it enough times because you go to, I think we would go to six to eight high schools a day, you know, because, you know, being a smaller school, you kind of got to like net your broadcast and, you know, shoot your net out there a little farther and try to see what all you could, what all you can find, especially being at, a, you know, a school and 
you know, the ASC conference that, you know, battles with Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor. And, you know, you're really working, to, you know, fighting against them to get other top tier kids that can get there. And so um, anything to get a competitive edge in that aspect for me was just, you know, learning how to recruit from the, from the school and learning how to recruit from Coach Swears and just meeting a lot of high school football coaches that are just really easy to talk to because, you know, they were, they would, we would sit down and talk kind of how we do now. We are right now. And um, they were real nice and real cordial to come in and sit down and meet with me. Yeah, that's interesting. And one thing that I've always, always wondered about, okay, well, let's, let's jump into uh, talking about your defense there at Magnolia. Uh, you guys, uh, as we talked about uh, in previous uh, conversations, you guys are very similar to Austin Westlake and uh, anyone who's been paying attention to high school football in the state of Texas, you know, even remotely understands that, that, you know, those guys have been extremely successful and, and among other things, I know you guys, you know, you play both odd and even fronts and, and, you know, will carry both schemes in your weekly game plan. You know, walk us through an overview of your defense first and, and how you handle that. You know, I, you know, if you have a hybrid player, who is he, how do you use that guy, uh, et cetera. So we base everything out of our four two five defense. Um, that's where we get the, the ground for it. Um, we play quarters in the back end and our safeties are pretty heavy in the run fits. And so the whole premise of our defense is to make things run sideways and to make things not run between the A and B gap. And so if you've ever seen anybody run the ball in between A and B gap, because obviously someone got out of gap uh, or a linebacker misfit because um, we spill everything and then we'll spill everything again. We're, we call it a spill spill philosophy. We're trying to make things uh, bounce and really everything kind of, it run game wise will turn into some form of like outside run essentially for our defense. And so um, we started four, two, five, um, and then we'll kind of transition into our three, three stack and week to week. Um, we kind of bounce back and forth and in game, we bounce back and forth between the two of them. And so it really just depends on which one we feel give us a competitive advantage um, or a whatever, you know, advantage we might need to have in the game. It really just depended upon uh, situations and schemes that we we're seeing. Um, I think there's pros and cons to both, but essentially, even if we were playing our three-three stack, we were, you know, sending a backer, sending someone create that four-two-five look again. And so, um, you know, when we get into the three-three three stack, is when we actually, when you mentioned the hybrid player, that's where we get to utilize that, and it is our sand backer. And so, uh, we move him around quite a bit. Um, he. We'll line up at stand-up DN. He'll move inside to play D-tackle. He'll back up and look like a Mike linebacker at times. Um, he'll step out and, and be in a co true cover-down position. We ask him to do, you know, quite a few things. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not a, a freak athlete we have there. He's a good athlete, don't get me wrong. But he's um, he's not Jadavian Clowney or, you know, uh, Tyran Matthew out there playing football. He's, you know, we keep him within a wheelbox of things that he could do. And so... Um, for the most part, he's a kind of a DN, true DN linebacker guy for us. So we'll just move him around and kind of find different spots to fit him into. Um, you kind of uh, mentioned that, you know, it, it just sort of depends on, you know, the personnel or looks or things that, that you're getting. Without giving, you know, giving a whole lot away, what can you tell me about, you know, hey, guys, this is going to be a big 3-3 stack week for us, or this is going to be a more of a four-two-five thing. Like, um, what is it that makes you get into that stuff? And, and and determines how much you're going to use either either or uh, in a, in a game plan, right? So um, week to week, when you when you were really looking at how we install a three three stack, um, 
when we are just going to send our Sam backer or send our Will backer off the edge, we're just making them our new seven technique defensive end. So our, our seven technique is about a yard wider off the tackle. It's noted as a seven just because he's a yard wider. If he gets a tight end, he's still inside the tight end, but he's just wider. And he's, he's a, you know, squat to squeeze player. He's going to play the quarterback and slow play things. And where it gets different for our three, three stack is that that stand up is our seven tech, but he doesn't always squat and squeeze. He can blitz it. And so, cause he's truly a blitzing linebacker off the edge. And so, um, where we get advantages of playing stack is that we can speed people up by playing stack. Um, then additionally, we also, I think that one of the big ones in my mind that kind of comes to it is that when you're playing a lot of gap scheme teams that pull a lot of people, pull people a lot, like counters, a lot of counters and powers, um, we're going to gain an extra spiller off the edge. And so how we play our stack is we have two five techniques and a head up nose. And so, um, Playing the guys as an outside five technique allows us to, you know, on a true down block, they can redirect the tackle and then chase off the butt, and they can be the first primary spiller, and then the the next linebacker could be the next spiller, and then you have a free, you have two free tacklers to fill the box. And so we're still allowing things to kind of still bounce and spill outside. So let's say that you get a team that, you know, ran a, a heavy counter play where they're going to send GT and the fullback Cross at somebody. Well, we have someone for all three because we can have the DN spill the first, the Sam linebacker spill the second, the next linebacker spill the third, and then we have a, a tackling mic or a rover or our safety, or it could be a corner depending upon who the force player was at the time. So, um, you know, when we so it really depends upon kind of what we're getting out of it. But, you know, also if we're playing stack, you know, it gives us an advantage of like having, having an extra cover guy in the game. You know, that's, that's pretty, you know, obvious for a lot of reasons. So if we're getting teams that we feel are getting into empty sets, if we want to go true drop eight, we can drop eight, and bluff out of it if we wanted to. Um, kind of run some simulated pressure. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot of different looks we can make out of it. And so you get, we can make more looks out of it, but that doesn't mean we don't like our base front. I mean, because we still move and kind of rock and go out of that. And so I actually have some clips of that if you would, like me to should look, kind of share that with yeah, you guys. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's do it. And and while you're pulling those up, let me ask you this question: How are you, are, how are you setting your front? Like, are you are you keeping that that uh, hybrid player in the boundary? Uh, so if he isn't a stack, he's in the boundary. Do you, you do you like to play him to the field, and then you can, um, you, know, you can stack him over that way? Like, how do you how do you set your front with that guy? Uh, yes and no. By base rule, he's the Sam always goes to the field or goes with our bandit. Um, he's going to follow with our wherever our bandit goes. And so, um, but that doesn't mean that he's always the walk up guy coming off the edge. We could send someone else off the edge as well. It could be our wheel linebacker, or it could be a corner, it could be a safety. Um, but really, he how we kind of set it is if we wanted to create our 425 again, I mean, we can have him slide the front down and we'll bump the DN down inside to a two or three technique. And we can set the front against stronger wheat, depending upon how we were wanting to align to it. So we can kind of the stack allows us to kind of get back to any look out of our four two five we want to, because we have our DNs, you know, trained up to go through all the, the D tackle stunts to go through all playing a three technique and playing a two technique as well. It's not what they major in, but there's still something that we can do out of it. And we have kids that are confident enough not to get knocked off the ball and can still stay in stay gap sound and do their job in our defense. And so we're not asking the two gap to do anything crazy. So um, they can hold their gap and do that. So um, what we're looking at here is we're having a, on the, my screen. Um, can you guys see that? 
Couldn't tell. Yeah, coach, we're good. Yep, we can perfect, see. Perfect. All right. So what we're looking at here is we have our Sam number six. He's walked up. Um, we have two five techniques in our head up nose. Um, what we're playing here, we're in. They're in trips right now, so we're going to send him off the edge and just kind of create our normal four two five front. We'll end up slanting this defensive end right here, fifty three. He's going to be slanting into the B gap to create our new three technique. We'll end up moving 71 into the opposite A gap, and then he can play normal five technique. So, um, you know, where I think that we differ a little bit from the West Lake and the South Lakes is that how we play this position five technique is because um, what we do with them is that, you know, they can still make this call out of it. I mean, but I think that we live and die by it. So last season about – Week three, I was talking to our DC and said, you know, we, we so what we call, we call it a rub technique. And, you know, we kept running into the situations and game plan of saying, why don't we just always rub the five tech? We know what well, we need to rub the five technique here. We need to rub the five technique here. And then finally, I just said, well, why don't we always rub him and make it a base rule? And when we don't want him to, then we can lock him. And so um, basically what that means is he's like a, a heavy five technique, a heavy DN. And so if he gets a base block coming at him, then he can post it for outside and C gap for a full thousand one count. Then he's going to rip across in the B gap. And so he lines up outside, but takes away B gap. And, um, you know, people ask, well, you know, why don't you just slant him in B gap? Well, we could do that. And, you know, we do do that too. But um, by allowing him to stay outside, allows him to also be a contained rush on pass because he can kind of, you know, redirect off his path and not have to be stuck in B gap and you don't lose your edge at that point. So um, they were, we work kind of pretty heavily on that, but I'll kind of run through the clips. You can kind of see what, what it looks like. But um, so we have the Sam up there coming off the edge. We should be ripping the D line and the 21 down here should be running, just playing a base five technique rubbing. So playing here, get a little ISO, you know, and, the backside attack, what teams started really doing to us, because our DNs do play pretty heavy and, you know, we'll move back inside as they try to, you know, gap hinge and cut us off and getting into the B gap. So whenever they step inside, we have our guys attack top shoulder, which he does a good job of here. So it looks like he's kind of taking it on thick, but he's got his left arm on the bicep over here. He pulls down across, rips through, and he puts himself in the B gap. So it cleans it up for our linebackers too. Um, so makes it a lot easier for them. But so, for example, and then going back to the top of this with number six, our Sam, with him coming off the edge, he's just, you know, speed, he's a blitzing linebacker. He's speeding things up. So it's a different look out of it from us just playing our normal 7-3-2-5. So here's the end zone clip of it. See if we can get that rolling. 71 kind of does a decent job. We should kind of want him more on the guard right there. He kind of gets washed a little bit, which kind of creates that bigger B gap for the end. But the end does a really good job here of ripping through and kind of add themselves into the play. You know, we, we really kind of like pride ourselves on making things run sideways and we're not going to let a lot of big runs kind of pop in between the tackles. And so just a way for us to be able to get to that. Um, here we go. So I'll walk this back and really you see it better from the end zone clip from this. So here's again our Sam kind of moving around. Um, we, we use him to kind of like he has to know the entire front because we have him do many different things. And so our Sam six right here is going to walk down and become a, he's going to become our next defensive tackle. And so he's going to walk down and run a, run a stunt over here with our other um, big DT 71. Both ends should end up rubbing at this point. 
because they are base stack. They don't have a stunt call on. They play base five technique. So they should be both be rubbing in B gap, working inside, making things run lateral. But number six does a good job of getting underneath and that making himself into the play. So, you know, we do a good job pre-snap and moving around. I think that, you know, when you're, you get lined down and then here comes the linebacker walked up and he gets in a stance. You know, it just creates another four down front. So we went from being in completely odd front to even front pretty quick. What's – is that Sam's alignment always um... – is it always the same? Does it does it change? Will you stack him? You know, play him in a fifty and bump the other linebackers over? Will you always have him walked up on the line of scrimmage, coming off like like he's coming off the edge? How, what's his alignment? So if we're just playing true stack, he's going to be in a fifty and kept outside his defensive end because he can be covered down. He doesn't have V gap. He does. He can't. He doesn't have to be in a rush because if we just called stack and our base coverage behind it, and then what we're going to have him do is just he can still play that overhang spot and still be that in that little window being little depending upon what coverage we're in what you know it depends on what his drops gonna be so he can sit over here and kind of wait, let that things fold and kind of pop to him and he can step the stack down there off the tackle off of anything that's going to bounce back outside if he gets flow away he can slow play things over the top and kind of go real slow um kind of wait for the cutback and see or if there's any run-throughs he can kind of take those um but if you know, we're having him believe the blitzer. He can walk, I mean, he can show up late and walk up outside this defensive end. And then we're just, he's giving them just a quick call for them to tell them which direction they got to go. It can tell them we go one gap. It can tell them to go two gaps. It can tell them to run a stunt. Um, and we kind of like build, build those things in throughout the week, depending upon, you know, what we want out of him. And so we'll, you know, make sure we go through all the checks and all the, the walk up calls that, for what he's got to do. Um, but again, he could end up, anywhere within this box i mean he could walk in here he could walk he could walk over here he could be in the in this gap here he could be stacked back five yards he could be in the middle of the field it kind of depends on what we want out of him it depends on what the call is that answers your question yeah and and you know uh, an issue that and i'm sure you guys see this a lot um when you're in your four two five stuff is teams want to put formation in the boundary so is that a situation where will you try to put him over there into that into that boundary to where you can uh, bump him out and, and have him bang on, uh, whether it's a number two or number three receiver. Um, you know, is that something you see, you guys see a lot? Um, this season, we didn't get a lot of formation in the boundary. Um, you know, the, really the only situation I can think about maybe when we did is that they put, you know, a lot of heavy sets, you know, where they get a lot of tackle over, heavy tackles and pullbacks move over to the boundary and we'll have them over there and nothing really changed. Like, because of our base rules and a lot of things, it doesn't really change what he has to do. So we don't really ask him to have to go um, drop and run real deep in coverage a whole, whole lot. Like, he doesn't have to go do that. Like, he is like a true, you know, edge hybrid guy. He's just moving around the box. And, and whenever he is in a coverage position, his coverage is pretty fairly limited. I mean, not saying that he's not always that. And I think that depending upon the, who we have there, we could do more or less with. and. But for him, he's a pretty good all-around overall overall football player. And so he's only about, you know, six foot, 200 pounds, but he can move pretty well. And so he's good enough to drop into space. He's good enough. He's big and physical enough to come off the edge. and Obviously big enough to come getting add himself in the mix here at D-Tackle. And so if we get FIB, I mean, he's probably going to go to the boundary anyway because that's where, the, that's where we're probably going to set our front anyway or set our bandit and set our secondary. Um, but that's not necessarily like how we would always do it. That's just by base rule. I mean, you you know how it goes with 
depends on game plan of what we wanted, but um, base rule will probably put him into the boundary. But here's the next clip. And I, some of these clips might be a little repetitive from what we got. So here's six again. He's at a true cover down position over here. So he's actually hipped outside the box. And so we're getting trips again. And so he's over here just kind of so he can be closer to number three receiver and could be in that little that zone window. Um, this DN can still be a five technique and rub. We have our wheel linebacker walked up now coming off the edge. And that's not necessarily saying that's always going to be what happens when they walk up. I mean, these guys bounce in and around sometimes and they'll show up late and they'll blitz late. So um, it's something that, you know, years of kind of practice and timing have worked with. But the end working out from the end zone view, it's always better. The end working inside, ripping into the B gap, taking away the first look. So he's getting holed up with the tackle. Bam, linebacker comes off the edge. We would have liked him to steal the guard, but he gets there late, kind of sneaks behind him as makes the tackle. Backside DN rubs again, and that's fine with what, how he does it. He doesn't really always have to post him up. Sometimes if we kind of give him the freedom every once in a while, once they get competent enough to rub, we tell them we can rub or take it. You can take the gap or rub it, but we need you to, you know, hold outside for a full one count essentially so we need you to present outside and then work back underneath and so he's doing a good job and so you know we've had a, a lot of our dns add themselves into plays late or like make the between the backside player on a play they try to cut off cut us off on like power and they end up making the play in the backfield pretty frequently and it's just out of our base defense we're not calling anything special to make that happen it's just what he does so helps us out here, just our normal four-two-five. Um, again, we got our guys rubbing and working back underneath. Just cleaning it up. So, really, because the reason why I want to show this clip was just because how like our D, our ends are taught to rub underneath and take away B gap, and you know they a lot of times do make the tackle. But you know this does alter the path, the back's path. Like he has to go jump, and, and I know he's got a guy in his face, but he can't just jump in and hit it downhill and B gap right now. He's got 18 kind of sitting here, unlocked, ready to make the play. And if he triggered, if he went in 18, wanted to trigger faster, then could have been a TFL pretty easily. I mean, an unblocked player right there. So kind of worked out for us in that scenario. I'll show you the end zone clip of it to make it a little cleaner. Moving across, 18 jumps in, makes the play. You know, we do a lot of reps at this throughout the week that kind of cleans up the run fits, and we do a lot of slowed down fits for this as well, so our kids know where to go. So here's six again, um, just kind of giving a different look to it. And so he's actually executing a, a pretty similar stunt to what he was doing before uh, whenever we had him walk up and play D tackle, but he's just kind of standing up doing the same thing. This time we're, we're getting passed, so he's rushing to that gap. We have a stunt going on the backside between 71 and 21. Just different looks out of it, really. You know, we want him to kind of move around and have the freedom to kind of be where, you know, don't always kind of show where you're going, move around, you get a bump, get people in the right spot. You got to be a smart football player, obviously, and kind of be pretty, you know, well coached up. But just, you know, nothing special out of it, but just kind of where he kind of lines up where he goes. So this here's another a, look. A question I might have asked before. I might have asked Coach Salazar this before, but where does that guy go for individual? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> so 
Uh, depends on the week. If we're asking him to do more stand-up work where he's coming off the edge, he's going to come work with me. Um, he's going to spend more time kind of backed up off the ball than he's going to go with our linebacker coach, Coach Childs. Um, kind of depends. And, and it might be a week where he spends, he splits it. And so he might spend Indy with me for the first two days, and then he's going to go to, you know, Pascal and linebacker inside the third day. Uh, just really depends on the week. We don't have a specific hybrid coach, but he, the linebacker coach, the DC, and I all kind of like share time working with him. And so it just kind of depends on week to week where it's what it's going to. And so um, the hybrid is actually not in on the defense this time, but this is just another look of what we do. And so we're in our four two five front. And we, we don't, you could say like, you know, you know what we're going to do and like, yeah, we know the ends are going to do this, but we move, move them around enough. I think it gives people, you know, a guessing game of what we might end up doing. So here's a way for us to kind of slide the front back to a stack look to an odd look from our even front. And so just a quick little call pre-snap where we got the nose bumping head up to be a head up nose, the three technique bumps out to a five technique, and then our DM pops up to be the same linebacker. And so. We just kind of jumped into the stack look. And so we teach that we coach those guys up on kind of being the outside blitzer at that point, then add themselves back into the play. So backside DN's rubbing in. 71's doing a good job. Holding an A gap right there. Is, a unit, so. is uh number 40 there? Uh if you run that back, is well, is it? I'm sorry. The, behind number forty, uh, the, you know, your two linebackers back there. Is that is that a is he a linebacker or a rolled up safety? What? That's a, those are both our inside linebackers. Okay. Forties so are Mike and eighteens are Will. So oh, okay, um, we're playing a, a a matched coverage, and so that that changes their alignment up a little bit about what they'll do and kind of what their responsibilities are and um, what. 18 essentially doing is that he's he's pretty much trying to find the fullback. I got you. Know, he's he's okay. matched up on him. And so okay. that way he can play faster to it. And so let's see if he actually does a good job. Of, yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. And I figured that's who he was reading, but uh just asking about his alignment there. Yeah, and you know, a lot of teams, I mean, I think that a lot of teams would think that if they got that look, they're like, Yeah, we're gonna run power and ISO at you all day long. And that's what we coach our kids not to allow to happen. So I think that's something that, you know, it's a testament to us because, and what our, you know, all of our staff kind of what they do a really good job. Our linebacker coach does and our corner coach and our safety coach and our DC and our DT coach all do a great job at it. And so, you know, they take, we try to take away those inside run, run lanes. So let's see what I got. Here's just the Sam walked up again, coming back off the edge. Nothing special there. Let me, I'll skip through that one. So this is just us bumping the front, some more live look at it. From us going to base, moving back to our stack front, kind of adding into it pre-snap. Just another way for us, like, like I said, it's just another way for us to kind of move and move the front around a little bit, you know, and kind of give people a different look pre-snap because I think it breaks a lot of O-lines rules about what they want to do and, how they want to get there because, you know, pre-snap we're moving and we're, or post-snap we're moving again. It kind of, you know, you know how that works. It, it changes how their landmarks are going to be. So I don't think I'm a rocket scientist at this. I don't think I have it all figured out, but I think what we do is pretty good. I think that, you know, a lot of other, you know, with Westlake and Southlake and us running it, I think we've all been pretty successful at doing what we do. And I think that it's worked for us. 
No, it's interesting. <laughs> we we do some stuff that's that's pretty similar, um, and and have kind of in the past with with what we used to run under our our, our previous coordinator as well. Um, you know, we we we're we're four two five, but we can we can bump out our, uh, one of our defensive ends who is a converted linebacker, and, and really kind of like what Char just showed there, where he bumps out. Um, and now he's he can come off the edge. He can drop into coverage in the flats if he needs to, if we want him to do that. Um, yep. And we haven't done it where it's like a pre-snap stem like that, but, you know, typically we'll line up in it, but we have calls built in for that same reason that you're talking about. And and uh, really that's something we'll, we'll probably build on uh, this spring and, and, and show more of, uh, you know, th this next season. I'm just curious here, how does tempo affect – switching from three to four down front is there do you have some calls i'm sure you have some calls that are like hey these are our hot calls or these are our you know tempo calls and we're going to get in this and that kid's now not going to move around do teams try to do that to you to get to, to where you can't move him around so much yeah they try um so you know that's the cool part about being if we are in stack and you know we want to move the front a little bit it's it's pretty easy. We make a lot of one word calls for them. So when our mic backer has to relay it back out, you know, really if we're running on the fly. It's you know, it's it's one word, and the kids know what to do, and they 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 can adjust to it. Um, but let's say that they're they're motioning and tempoing, then you know, that's the cool part is our Sam and our Will linebacker are almost interchangeable, and so they both can kind of do the same thing, and so we can even you know. And rock and roll those guys one goes back up to the top you know and rolls in the box and plays more like the inside backer and one rolls back down and becomes a defensive end um if we get motion quick we can make a one quick call to the d line and make change the whole stunt if we're in our face front you know we can easily you know slant the d line somewhere else from where we want to real quick or we could call the stunt or we could make the one word blitz call which you know it's pretty easy. And so I think having one word calls makes it pretty, you know, efficient for us. And we work on the tempo and we work on that. We try to emulate that the best we can in practice where, you know, we're getting our kids moving quickly and having to get a call, relay it in. And then when in doubt, set the ball. And I heard Coach Salazar say this, so I can't even take credit, but, you know, set the ball strong and play ball. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of credit to that, you know, a lot of fact to that. We can get, if we can get lined up and just execute what we want. You know, this is the last kind of thing that we did, and um, it was one of our third and long calls. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I, I can't even take credit for getting this. We had uh, – I got this from Craig Rowe online. We kind of just looked at looked at some of his stuff and tried to implement it the best we could. We kind of adapted it to what, you know, worked for us a little bit. But it's a third and long call where we get our D-line wider. And so get the end zone clip of this. And so what we have here is that – I would have liked 53 to have been outside the tight end here. And so we're going to give two ghost nine techniques. And so we're like wide nines because we have our Sam backer walked up over here in the corner. Um, and so he's a wide nine as well. And then when I give you back the end zone clip, we have 21 and a five technique. So when you look at it, what's in between the tackles is just one, two technique, like head up two technique. And so the thought process behind it is we want to draw the center and the guard to our two technique and so we're going to have him move and slant inside post snap so we want him to kind of attract attention of him obviously we're probably going to get 53 one-on-one -on -one with the tackle over here so that's a good matchup for us and then over here with 21 we're going to have him 
he's usually like, so you want to make your best pass rusher this position that's doing this because they're going to get to be the person that's going to be having to um, think on their feet a little bit. So him and the DT, him and the two technique have to work a little together in this. So 21 is going to slant inside and uh, go B gap post snap. And so he's going to be trying to attack the outside shoulder of the guard. And so if the guard oversets him, he has a two-way go. He can jump inside, but when he jumps inside, we tell him he's got to push the opposite A gap because we want him to take away that, that run lane. 71 is going to try to pull the inside shoulder of the guard right here, then he'll press and work to opposite shoulder of the quarterback. So you got to have a little bit of a stunt in there if 21 goes inside. So we teach 71, if he sees his numbers flash and see his color flash, then he's got to start pressing to the opposite shoulder of the quarterback. Um, 21, if he feels like he can win through B gap, then he's going to stay B gap and 71 can stay on this side of the, on the same side of the quarterback from where he originally started. Um, and then from off screen where you can't see, we have, you know, number six over here and a wide nine. And so what 53 and him are trying to do is keep the quarterback in the pocket and let 21, 71 go wreak havoc. And so, um, I think it kind of messes with a lot of people because you're trying to figure out, you know in terms of like, are you going to bob this? Are you going to slide this? Or, you know, how you want to half slide it? Like, how do you want to try to block and attack it? And, you know, our O-line, we've repped it against our O-line guys and we've had them run every single different thing at it they could. So to see how we can kind of like coach our kids up to beat what they're seeing and getting. And so I'll run through it and we'll run through it from the wide clip because that makes a good look out of it. So like I said, 53, I kind of would have liked him to be more outside the tight end, but he does a good job here of kind of posting up. Like we teach them the long arm and kind of like, you know, be sure that I'm not running past the quarterback. Like the quarterback can't get outside of me and I'm not going to run by him. I got to keep him stuck in the pocket. And so him and six have the same job. They're coming up the field. I'd like six to come a little faster. I'm not hating what he's doing, but I think that he can come with a little bit more intensity. 71 is doing a good job hogging up center and guard. It gives 21 one-on-one -on, -one on 68 which is kind of the matchup we wanted and so 21 wins his one-on-one he goes outside sack so show you the end zone side of that real quick Top. he wins Boom. so works for us then here it is again so this time we did that was out of our stack the last time that was about a stack personnel we coached this up to where we can make it out of our base personnel or our stack personnel. And we can run this from both sides. And we can also run stunts out of this too, we've built upon. So it's not always the same thing you're getting out of what we're, what we're showing you. So on this one, 71 is gonna be our five technique. He's a pretty good D lineman for us. And then 53 is gonna be our, our nine technique and 21 is gonna be our nine technique. 42 in here is gonna be our two technique. 21 is wrong at telling him to widen out some more. So there is, you know, we do coach kids that are, high school kids, you know, and that's how that works. But the whole premise of it is, you know, 71 probably could have gave a little bit more effort there and kind of pressed in some more, but 21 does a good job of just trying to maintain where he's at. He wins where he wins his one-on-one -on -one and sack fumble to win for us. But that's just the pre-snap look out of it with the, with the five techniques working in, two technique, and we got our two wide guys and worked out for us. And here's the last clip of it. So there's 71 again being our five technique. 21's a nine, 53 is a nine, 42 is going to be a two technique. 
71 is a lot better job this time pressing inside he wins inside 42 begins to see it and starts to work back outside but i think he kind of sees where the quarterback's at that point and just decides to go 53 does a good job holding up in the pocket and so does 21 they make sure they kind of shut the rush down and start to kind of get back to where he can't escape or step up in the pocket but it was a good it was a good stunt for us to turn into a lot of sacks and a lot of pressures and you know i can't take full credit for it i got i beg borrow and steal from everybody so okay i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna uh throw a throw a scenario out there so you're running that right there and you have your ghost nine yeah. guy and they flare the back is he is he blitz peel or or do you have a backer behind it or someone that's that's accounting for that back out We'll have someone else account for that. They they don't have to be involved with that unless we you know call a blitz or call something on. We're going to have them dropping. We could give that look in that alignment and then run something else out of it. Obviously, um, but no. If we were just running our, our true stunt bird stunt out of that, we call it the bird stunt. We go, if we run bird out of it. They they get to be rush rush guys, and so we kind of take the pressure off of them and just let let the rest of the guys behind them play in coverage and let them go get after the quarterback usually talk about D-line, uh, you know, coaching progression and everyday drills and things like that. And so we won't necessarily go through all of that, but I will ask you just uh, to give us an idea, you know, for, for us guys who are always looking for ways to maybe revamp or spice up our individual time. Like how do you break down your individual time? Uh, and what are some things that you really like to cover and make sure that you cover, especially, you know, with your guys, you know, operating out of two different fronts. It sounds like it's not a big difference for you either way because you are playing outside shades and both sides. But you know, how do you organize your individual time in season? So um, I'm actually going to share my screen one more time with you guys because I have because this is kind of where we get the basis of what front or kind of what I want to show them. And so kind of what I'm working with week to week. And so I – like, again, can't take credit for building this. I stole this from Randall Joyner. Um, he's at Ole Miss. And so um, yeah, I think we of, all stole that from him. At, uh, yeah. So I'm sure you all see, all seen this and you all started probably picking from this. But I use this. And so um, well, how I use this was I would go through and I would grade the tackles out and grade the centers and the guards. And our DT tackle coach would do that as well. Um, and so what we did was I would go through and I would start marking down what blocks most frequently came from those guys and so like you know we're from the guard the tackle we're getting i would add tight ends to this too and grade them out and so that way we can kind of get an idea of like what blocks we're going to start seeing this week and so that would help me organize my block recognition time so i'm not just running random blocks at them week to week i'm kind of giving them a little bit more specific to what they're going to get and then um, i would show them and we would, this is what i would give my guys week to week and so like you know a lot of teams give their coaches um, or give their players uh, a scout report, which is really big. It has a bunch of, you know, all the receiver sets on it as well, which is great, you know, but when you're working with just D linemen, they don't look out, you know, outside the box a whole lot. And so we try to give them looks for what they're actually going to see. And so um, that way they can start kind of game planning what runs are going to come at them and what and how they can kind of start getting an idea of like when I see this formation or this personnel set or this jersey number grouping for, you know, we had a team that, you know, only, you know, ran certain plays behind certain people when they were in certain combinations of each other. So they moved the lines around, like, you know, what was coming at me week to week? You know, what kind of pass pros were I going to start facing against? And what kind of screens was I getting? And so kind of to wrap this back up. So, like, we would use this to kind of figure out what kind of 
O-linemen we were getting from the run game and the pass game. So I could tell my guys, hey, you know, he's a mauler. He's going to come out real heavy on you guys, and he's going to, like, fire out and try to, you know, drive you, knock you off the ball. Well, that's going to probably turn into a quicker rub technique for us because we're going to use the momentum. We're going to try to use all he's got against him. So if he's going to, like, you know, fire out into us, then we'll use momentum against him. We'll punch, get extended, and then we'll rip across and get into the B-gap a lot quicker than we normally would. If he was a leaner, and if he, or if he was a position blocker trying to turn us out of the gap, then we can work more on the gap hinge block throughout the week, and we can work on them attacking top shoulder. And so that's just kind of how I organize my block rec time. But um, week to week, um, if you guys have kind of already seen this, I won't kind of like go beat through it so much. But um, week to week, I would, you know, I had about 40 to 50 minutes of indie time, and that's kind of that scouting report is kind of set up the structure for my indie. And so if in the past, usually the first part of practice for me was 10 minutes I'd spend on pass rush. You know, we 10 quick minutes. You know, it was usually the pre-practice time anyway where most of the other guys were working special teams. And so it was a quick way because before the start of practice for us to kind of like steal that time because we didn't work at any time. The rest of the time we spent was working on the run game and kind of working on stopping the run. And so uh, we would spend 10 minutes on it. And so if usually Mondays I would work on a double, sw a double swipe pass rush move, for guys that had high hands that would shoot high at us, I would work Tuesdays on like a, a chop cross for guys that had hands that went from low to high when they were rising from their hips up towards my chest. And so it would, you know, increase my chance of actually hitting his hands and not missing. And then the last day we'd work on, a, on Wednesday, we'd work on a long arm. But if we were getting a week where we were getting a certain type of guy that consistently gave us stuff, then I would have my guys work specifically on a specific move you know, or a counter off of that. So that would spend be the first quick 10 minutes of practice. We'd kind of drill and progress through that. And, you know, I, I got to work a little bit with BT Jordan, you know, and got to see him work with our guys a little bit this past spring and the past year. And so um, stole a lot from him and he helped me a lot in, a lot in that capacity. And so, and then on, we move from that and go to our kind of like everyday drills. And so um, everyday drills for us, because we're a strike and react team started off on the sled and so we would kind of go through like a six point series we wanted to work on them shooting hands out we had i you know use a lot of pete davis philosophy with the old lsu stuff of like just coming out and striking we're not really worried about the step initially you know we want to create separation and jump out of our stance so um that's kind of the foundation of all of how we play our everything because if we if we can't come out and pop people off you know off the line of scrimmage then we're not going to go anywhere and so um I, I think there's pros and cons to working on the sled because, you know, you're only, we don't have the great sleds that show like the, you know, the shoulder or the arm on top of it. Cause I'm pretty picky about where their hands go. You know, I want them on the bicep and the chest because I know once it hits the bicep, it's probably going to raise up to the shoulder and be right where it's supposed to be anyway. And then one hand's in the middle of the chest and we're maintaining outside leverage. And even when we rub as a five technique, if they hit, if they end up head up on the guy, then you're pulling his full body weight. Versus having for him to have to reach at me because I'm on his edge. He's having to step and work to me or he's leaning back away from me. And so it's pretty pertinent that we stay on his half side. And then, you know, and when we strike and come out, we have to like try to create knockback with our hands. And so and it's not really about how hard we hit him, but how we get our hands on him. And so I want to be able to get my hands on him quickly, lock him out, lock my elbows out, which me pushing through my feet should create enough force to be able to do that. So we'll go through a series on the, on the sleds, working through that, and then uh, we'll work on our rub technique where we work on them actually being fitted up. 
with their arms already extended out. And then we'll work on the like the finished part of the rub and where they work from that. These are just kind of like fundamental, how do we do what we do drills? And so that takes about five to 10, you know, five to seven minutes. It doesn't take a whole, whole lot of time out of our day. And then we'll move into block rec. And block rec will look different, different week to week. From, we base it off the scouting report and based off what we get. So um, block rec has grown from a tight end and a tackle. If we're getting, you know, tight ends on us all week, then we're going to have a tight end and a tackle on our block rec. If we were getting a whole lot of fullback that week, then we'll have a one-on-one -on -one block session. Then we might have a session where we're having a tackle and a fullback in the game. And we'll rep through our five and our seven technique versus, you know, what they'll do if we're, We'll work through stunts versus those blocks or slants. We'll work through double teams. You know, we'll work through the whole nine yards of what we'll see that week. And kind of, we try to focus in on what we're going to be getting week to week. From there, um, this is a drill I actually, I think I picked up from Coach Harmon at UMHB. Um, and I, I called it mesh drill. And so um, really what it was is, you know, a lot of times DNs get, end up getting red and being put on their feet and, have to have the chance to have to make the play or they're the guy that's being read and they're the guys in conflict. And so um, we do mesh drill became an everyday drill for me where, and it took five to 10 minutes. And that again was something that we took from the scout and report of what are the plays we're being read on? What do they need to see? And so in the spring, we, we holistically install it where they see about everything. And so we'll do a one back mesh where I actually have four DNs and four lines and I have, Four guys standing as off of the tackles, and I'm everybody's giving me a down block, and I'm standing in the middle. So I have two guys, two DNs on each side of me, on two DNs to my right, two DNs to my left. Everybody's getting a down block, and I'll have it where the back is set to them, the back is set away from them, and they're working through five technique and seven technique. What, where do they work to? You know, like who are they, who are they working to? How do they play it? You know, do we slow play it? Do we fast play it? Are we going to be um, chasing the back? Or are we not going to be chasing the back? And then we'll add, uh, usually we do it from a one-back perspective. We're getting a whole lot of that. Um, if we get to a lot of gun split where we're getting two backs side by side, then we'll, we'll have them work through a lot of those reps and kind of how that will change and adjust and how, where I want them to read and look at. And then we'll also go through a pistol progression if we're getting any pistol that week. And so we'll go, we'll run through that. And then usually by the time we get through some of that stuff, we get through a, a block destruction. Um, drilled from the day, usually Monday, it's going to be base blocks. We'd go through a, a base block, block, block destruction, and then uh, we would add a tackle to it eventually. And so, or we would work on just one-on-one -on -one tackling towards the end of that. And then usually Tuesdays was when I would work for each blocks, block destruction, add a tackle to it, and we could work tackling right after that. And so all those things we would squeeze into our indie time and work variations off of it. We try to like, you know, we're getting a, uh, how we actually come out of our stance, we're getting a block recognition part out of it, we're getting a block destruction part out of it, and we're gonna work on the tackling aspect out of it. And that's kind of like where I would focus most of the indie indie time on. Yeah, I mean that covers that covers all the uh, all the skills that you that you need to have to be successful, no matter who you're playing that week or, or what what type of offense. Or um, I think it's important to kind of have that library of drills that that you know broken down into skills and different things that you need to make sure you're hitting. Um, so that, you know, you, you can make sure you're, you're getting all those areas. And then if there is a breakdown, you can go back and look, okay, where are we, where do we need some more work this week? Or where, where can we, um, you know, maybe, maybe combine some things, kind of like what you're talking about, combining tackling with block destruction uh, in order to, you know, increase that efficiency. Um, well, great stuff, coach. 
we're gonna we're gonna uh kind of begin to wrap things up here but we're not gonna not letting you off the hook that easy we're gonna we're gonna get you out of here with some uh, rapid fire questions so uh what do you say coach you down for all that sounds great let's go okay all right now here's the uh here's the deal so we've got some um got some some classics some some questions that we've asked in the past and then i got some new ones that i'm gonna try out on you and you know they could be one time one hit wonders or they may be ones that we keep around for a while but here we go uh, we'll start off with a couple of softballs here to get you going, Coach. All right. So when it comes to um, you know two Texas foods that are that are staples, um, you know it, it, here in our state, uh, which one are you going with, barbecue or Tex-Mex? Tex-Mex, any day of the week. Okay. I love good Mexican food. Uh, where where uh, where's the spot in Magnolia to go get some Tex-Mex? So I actually don't live directly in Magnolia. I actually live in Montgomery, which is about yep. You know, 20 minutes north of that. And so um, uh, El Bosque, pretty good spot. It's a chain spot. And I think that I'm a little biased to it because the service there is pretty good. I think it's kind of like, you know, I'm like Norm from Cheers when I walk in. I think they know my face too much. So I enjoy going there. Okay. All right, here's your next one. Favorite stadium to play or coach in besides your own? You know, I really enjoyed playing at Lobo Stadium this past year. Like they have a really cool setup, how they have their yeah. athletic facilities. They they do it. They did it right when they built that. That's a pretty unique experience playing. Yeah, we we uh we got to play a playoff game there a few years ago, and and uh, I, I really really I'd always dri- I'd driven by it before, but never actually uh, played in it or, or or coached in it. And the, the the pine trees surrounding it, and then the you know their their facility. You, know, you walk out of their facility down into the down onto the field is, is really cool. So you're right. It's a great setup and a great venue for a football game for sure. Uh, okay. So we are um, uh, wrapping up college football by the time this thing drops and, and getting close to wrapping up the NFL for you. Are you more of a college football or NFL fan? You know, I would love to say I'm a college football fan, but I'm a, I'm pretty poor college football fan. Cause I have, I, you know, having kids, it's pretty hard to be able to turn a football game on from time to time, but I would be a college football fan more than the NFL. Okay. You have a team that you root for more than others. I grew up a Texas Longhorn fan and always been, you know, whenever they're on, I'm going to tune in the game and see what's going on with them. And that's kind of been my team since I was young and don't really have any other affiliation, but that's just who I, who I love to watch growing up and saw Colt McCoy and saw them, the national championship, you know, a few times, and that's what I love to watch. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I've probably mentioned on this podcast before my dad and uncles went to Texas, and so kind of, and my granddad, and so kind of grew up uh, pulling for the Longhorns, and I'm not as diehard as I used to be as a kid, but um, we'll still pull for them for sure when, when, uh, you know, when they're they're on every weekend, and it's, it's been rough the last couple of years, so hopefully they'll turn the corner, especially with the signing class they got. Uh, okay, coach. So you can see with me, um, I just got a, a brand new stash of these uh, in my stocking, these Pilot G2, either sevens or tens. That's my writing utensil of choice. Uh, just curious for you, what's your writing utensil of choice, pen or pencil? And then you, even when, within that, do you have a preference? It is that exact pen you're holding in your hand right now. That is my favorite pen. It's the easiest to write with. It strikes well. I, yeah, and I love I love the click. You know, it clips on my shorts. Uh, oh yeah, I, I've I've been trying. I've, I've been I've been promoting these for for you know seems like forever now on this podcast. You think someone with Pilot would listen and throw us a sponsorship? 
or something, at least give me some free pins because I do go through them, uh, you know, quite often. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's, that's, um, I, I'm in 100% agreement with you there. Okay. You mentioned, and we didn't really get time to have time to talk about the uh, lifting aspect and, you know, we're getting into off season now and, and, and what, what kind of uh, program you're, you're putting together for your guys there. But uh, what is for your, for your guys, what's your favorite lift for them? And I'm going to take out squats. So let's take squats away. That's everyone's, you know, generally everyone's favorite, not the kid's favorite, but the coach's favorite. What's your favorite lift to have those guys do besides squats? So we do something that's called, it would be kind of like a jammer almost, but it's called, we, it's, so what we do is we have it rigged up on a landmine and we have a T-bar that goes on top of it. And so I think it's, it's really applicable to football because you get it kind of more in that, you know, that outward horizontal you know, plane. We're not just pulling a power plane that goes straight up. And I love power planes. I love the, you know, the benefit of baths and squats. But I think that, you know, when you're having to generate force and moving outward and kind of getting your hips exploding out more like, you know, like a broad jump per se, you're getting a, you know, into a different kind of realm of training and you're getting to like a realm that's more, you know, sport specific to what we do. And so I think it kind of teaches kids to snap their hips out and to use their hands and their hips together as well. Cause it's almost like a, you know, a push press and the, and just in the, out in front of me, you know, and it's kind of hard to emulate that and anywhere else, but having it in a fixed plane, it's not perfect, but I think it kind of gets the job done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, I know for me and I, and I can, I can tell myself here in a second, but what's a word or phrase you use all the time in practice that, you know, if I were to talk to you guys in your position group, that's, Oh yeah. Uh, here it is. What's what's a word or phrase that you use all the time in practice with you guys? Spill it. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're a spill spill team, and so um, you know, it's more more so with the younger guys, and I guess than the older guys. It's just you know, when we're getting guys that are coming to kick us out, we're, we're spilling everything. So spill it. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's you know that's 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 a great phrase to to have as a, as a D line coach, and we could maybe we could. You could also almost call this podcast "Spill It," the "Spill It" podcast, because that's another yeah. one that, that uh, D-line coaches find themselves saying a lot. Uh, I didn't realize. Well, I, I know that I say you know rock and roll a lot because we our guys rock and roll, especially you know against zone schemes. They're they're rocking yeah. and, and and rolling into their gaps, rolling getting vertical through the line of scrimmage. One thing that that I didn't know I said this a lot, but then I heard some kids overheard some kids making fun of me in the locker room this year is um, I guess I say uh, no cool guys a lot or don't be a cool guy or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And so they kind of give me a hard time about that. But, you know, hey, again, if, if they're going to get on me about something, then, then I'm okay with that being one of the ones that they associate with me because uh, I guess I'm kind of passionate when it, when it comes to that issue. But that's a whole other podcast topic in and of itself. We'll, we'll leave that one alone for now. Uh, we'll move on to the next question. All right, Coach. Uh, it's that time of year where guys are making New Year's resolutions and, and you know, maybe they're wanting to, to get in shape or they're wanting to, you know, learn a, a, something different when it comes to coaching their position or maybe learn another side of the ball uh, the, or learn the other side of the ball more. Uh, what's your – do you make New Year's resolutions? And if so, what's – give us one. I do. Um, working out is really not on that. I, I get up pretty early to work out every day anyway. So kind of something I do, just kind of make myself sane throughout the day. But for me, um, I try to do my best to learn, you know, I'm a D-line coach, but I've, I've coached DBs before. 
And I really try to pick the brains of our other coaches on staff and, you know, in the back end and try to learn as much as I can from front to back so I can know how to, you know, best if I'm, you know, with a team by myself or if I'm with a group by myself, I could coach that position up pretty well. You know, I could, I could, do, it, I could do it all from the front to the back. And so um, that's kind of been my goal is just kind of like sure up, you know, specifically on how they drill and do things from the back end and make sure that I'm, you know, saying the same things that they're saying from the from the, you know, the back end talk. Cause I know a lot of times, you know, you have your D line coach, or you have your DB coach that kind of doesn't really get a lot of the same verbiage from each other from, you know, cause they don't have to. And so, um, but I think we do a pretty good job of talking to each other on our staff. And, you know, my goal this summer, this, yeah, this next fall and this next, you know, throughout this next year has been, has been to, you know, sure up that I'm, what I'm doing, I'm talking about in the back end. Yeah, that's a, uh... That, that's something I actually heard it from a college coach who was coming through recruiting uh, a few weeks ago said that at the end of the uh, at the end of the season, uh, some point in, during the offseason, they will um, each coach will get up and basically coach up the other coaches in the room on their position, you know, kind of go through it uh, using their verbiage and, and things that they're looking for and their key, you know, all the things that they're going to, you know, and, and it's almost like um, he said, it's almost like. You know, a lot of times they'll have the GAs do that as well. And it's almost like that's their job interview, you know. But what it does is, is it makes sure that everyone – so if you are a linebacker's coach and you're talking to the safeties behind you or the D-line in front of you, you're using the same language as their coach does uh, in the same term. You know, everyone's on the same um, – on the same uh, – or aligned in, their, in, in the things that they're talking about. And I think that was a great idea and something we definitely want to try to do uh, at our place. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. And – and I'm constantly, you know, being a D-line guy at heart, I'm always sort of making myself gravitate towards the secondary and, and, and keep learning more, uh, you know, about the back end because there is so much to learn when it comes to that. All right, next question is, is and this is one that they asked uh, during the coverage of the state championship games uh, last month. And I, I think I've asked it on this podcast before, but it's always a question worth asking. Who is the best Texas high school football player that you've seen in person? Oof. Okay. So I would probably say this past season and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it was the stud receiver from Longview that had the five star. My gosh, this guy was incredible. You know, you know, as a kid that, you know, big, tall, strong, fast. I think there was a play that he broke about six tackles on us and, you know, single-handedly just took it to the house himself, almost took the five yard hitch and, you know, you probably don't think that's just that impressive off top, but watch him in person. He was all that in a bag of chips for what he was talked up to be. Yeah, I'm 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 trying to see. I'm trying to get my my uh, stats person over here, which is also myself, um, to uh, to Google that really quick because I know the kid. I just can't. Think, you're right. I'm blanking on his name, but anyway, yeah, yeah I've I've um, uh, you know we're not too far away from them, so I see a lot of their highlights and stuff and. And I know that he is a dude for sure. Okay, here's the last question for you, and it might get you in trouble with, with the guys on your staff and, and, and maybe bring you really close to, to another one. But if you were, um, had to be stranded on an island with one coach from your staff, who are you, who are you rolling with and why? Oof, man, put me in a corner. <laughs> uh, I would probably go with, my gut decision, this is what my heart probably says off the top of my head, uh, Coach Wayne Childs. Uh, he's a pretty wise guy. I feel like he would get us out of a tight spot. He knows a lot about a lot. And what he doesn't know, that I think that he does a pretty good job trying to help figure it out. So 
uh, I think he would at least have my back in it. You know, it wouldn't try to backstab me or steal my food. Yeah, um, yeah, so. there you go. Yeah, that's important. And that's a question, you know, when you think you're close to the guys on your staff and then you throw that question and they're like, oh, man, okay. <laughs> um, I like these guys, but that's a whole nother level. That's hard because I got a lot of guys on staff I really, really like, and I could easily have said any one of them. I'm, I guess I'm giving the political answer at this point. But. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> that, you know, that, that that's okay. Maybe that's one you can throw out there next time you'll have a meeting and just see what everyone yeah. says. But uh, anyways, well, Coach, really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing some things with us. Really uh, a lot of great stuff uh, from our conversation today. I know these guys will, will benefit from listening to. So just want to uh, thank you and, and tell you guys best of luck uh, this offseason. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks to Coach Hale for joining us today and kicking off season four of KYPD. Be sure to give Coach Hale a follow on Twitter at Coach B. Hale. And if you want to send him an email, you can do so. Uh, he can be reached at CoachBHale at gmail.com. Uh, and also, if you are a Texas high school football coach and happen to be attending the, uh, the Piney Woods uh, Coaching Clinic over in Longview here in a couple of weeks, then you can actually hear uh, Coach Hale's defensive coordinator, Magnolia's defensive coordinator, uh, Coach Chase Hargis, whom he referenced in, his, uh, in our talk today. Uh, you can hear him talk on the Bulldogs' defense uh, and also have a chance to say hi to Coach Hale in the process and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Also, remember, if you'd like to see the, the video of my conversation with Coach Hale today, we included it. We had a lot of film cut-ups and stuff of their stunts and our alignments and things like that. So if you want to check that out, you can do so by looking at our podcast YouTube channel, a link to which can be found in the show notes of today's episode and on our Twitter page as well. Our quote of the day goes like this. All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. All right. Well, the first episode of the season is in the books. Thank you guys for checking us out today. And hey, if you have any topics uh, that you would like to hear us cover or guests you'd like to have us bring on in the future, then by all means, shoot us a DM on Twitter at KYPD Podcast, or you can email us at KYPDpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're looking for other you know, great resources out there for defensive line coaches, be sure to join Coach Noonan. Uh, myself and a bunch of other D-line coaches from across the country on Tuesday nights at 7.30 Central for the best Twitter chat out there, and that is Disruption Chat, hosted by Coach Peter Noonan. Uh, you should also follow Craig Rowe on Twitter as he is you know, always churning out great D-line content. And, of course, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, be sure to check out our sponsor, Our Coaching Network. Uh, they have outstanding clinics from some elite coaches from across the nation. Again, they update those weekly, so make sure you go give those guys a look. And with that, we will get on out of here. Be sure to join us right back here next week for episode number 118, where we talk with a GA from the ACC conference about coaching eye discipline, and we, we get in uh, really just know a whole lot more, and it's a great conversation. So uh, you won't want to miss that one. So subscribe now so you never miss an episode. Have a great week. Get out there and make it happen. And finally, <laughs> y'all already know. Keep your pads down. <laughs>